Hey, welcome to this episode of the Hillside Church Podcast. We wanted to start recording more content and conversations as an effort to try to encourage and equip our church midweek. We hope to cover a variety of topics as well as hear from others in our church. Today, we want to continue our conversation on the book of Ecclesiastes. back for week four of our Ecclesiastes sub-series, mini-series thing, whatever we're calling it, midweek series. Um, and so today we're looking at chapter three, verse 16 through the whole chapter four. And this uh, is not a light <laughs> passage mm-hmm. of Ecclesiastes, especially the second half of chapter three and the first part of uh, chapter four. Mm-hmm. And so... It talks a lot. He talks a lot about the realities of evil in our world. He's looking out and seeing all of this wickedness and evil in the place of righteousness. And he goes on to say even like uh, how in our wickedness, in our lack of uh, holiness or righteousness, we're we're acting like animals mm-hmm. in how we kind of treat each other in our evil uh, desires. And so it uh, it's not a light passage, um, and I think it's important to yeah keep it keep an understanding of the whole structure of the book, right? Know, keep it in context, not isolate uh, little verses here and there. So, question for you, question because you mentioned it and as you preached through it, but just like what is the value of studying, even if it is in isolation a little bit, but what is the value of studying passages that are not easy? In scripture, the value is that um, they're still the word of God. They're still in the Bible. They're part of the canon, and so trusting that God has something to say to us through difficult texts. Mm-hmm. And it's it's maybe more fun to be in the bright and cheery texts sometimes. Mm-hmm. But there's a beauty in facing reality, and there's mm-hmm. a beauty of looking at life unfiltered and uh, being kind of forced to reckon with some of these big questions of life. Yeah. And so trusting that as God's word to speak to us is beneficial, even when it's, you know, truth maybe you don't want to hear or even you don't want to think yeah. about. It's still valuable uh, for us as followers of Christ to consider yeah. and, and learn from. I find that so true, too, as we, I think you're doing this, too, but read through you, you know, we're into February, we're reading through the Bible chronologically. Mm-hmm. You, you're doing the same reading plan, yeah. right? Yeah. But like we study Job and even Abraham and prior to that, um, you know, Adam and Eve, and then we get to the Exodus and there's Moses and, you know, not to mention um, Joseph and prior to that, Jacob and mm-hmm. all of these characters of the Bible, while we enjoy the stories because we can read them fi- you know, start to finish, they're not, it's not an easy life that any of them are given. Right. And I think sometimes when wickedness in the world happens and we apply like, oh, how could God be a good God when these kinds of things happen? Mm -hmm. I think sometimes it's possible that in the church, we've done people a disservice by not like reading the scope of scripture and mm. telling people or showing people like, you know, our world is the way it is because of sin. Sin entered the world through yeah. man. And 
Um, and God is still good in the midst of it. And he even uses it. Like you look at Job's life, he even uses what would be considered evil for good. It does yeah. it in Joseph's life and he's doing it. And, you know, we're reading through the Exodus right now, Moses's life. But all of that to say, sometimes I think we get older in our Christianity and we never touch on those things. And then when we do see evil or even read it in the scriptures, we're like, ah, oh, God is so mean. Instead of seeing God is redeeming what we've done to ourselves, <laughs> right. you know, and he's good and he has a plan. And so, and sometimes I think we even do it to our kids when we don't touch on the reality of life. And what's so cool about Solomon, as hard as it is to read this book, is Solomon's a realist. Yeah. And he helps us see things the way they are. But yeah, I don't know. I I know that wasn't what we were planning to talk about right now. But even this next week, I'm going to preach uh, Ecclesiastes 5. And we're back to another spot where it's not hard. It's not as hard as chapter 3 and 4, but... Um, I always give you the hard passages. It's it's okay. It, it's not as hard. It's unjust, but it's okay. But, but it is like, it makes me think this, and I'm probably going to say it on Sunday. So if you hear this before that, Spoiler I'm Spoiler alert. Yeah. That the Bible is not a book about happiness. It's about holiness. And not not that God doesn't want our joy and our holiness, you know, the byproduct of holiness is joy. But if we're going to church to try and be made happy, we're we're kind of doing it the wrong way. Um, and that's not to say that there aren't passages that bring us a lot of happiness and joy. But like, if we're going to the scriptures and like, make me happy, God, we're kind of making it all about ourselves, which is ultimately what the major issue is anyway. Yeah. And by happiness, you probably mean sort of a cheery, uh, not have to face the hardships of reality. Mm-hmm. Where instead of joy being a, a byproduct of of a holy God and worshiping Him, we make it the thing. Like we want to just go to church and feel good about ourselves, not have to <laughs> hear any hard messages. And so we want to like the music. Yeah, we, you know, like we have a plan for our lives, and we're the we're at the core of. Oh, I don't want to go to church anymore because the coffee's not good, or I don't want right. to go to church anymore because I don't like the music. Well, who, okay, who are you worshiping then? Mm-hmm. But, and uh, to go back to what you're saying yeah. a little bit before that, I think it's so true because when we, if we skip over hard texts or even don't discuss hard things with our kids, we're insulating them from reality and we're actually setting them up for failure. Yeah. Because if somebody has in their mind this idea that, oh, I'm going to follow Jesus and my life is going to be this perfect, blissful, cheery life. Well, yeah. when something happens you know, and, and suffering comes or hardship comes, they're going to think that something's wrong Yeah, or they're going to be blindsided because nobody prepared them for, look, the world is hard. Following Jesus is hard. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful and joyful, but it's hard. And so facing these things and not insulating our church, ourselves, our families from the hardships and realities of the world if, if we are insulating them, we're actually setting them up for failure. And I wonder if that's too why kids that grow up in the church end up sometimes leaving, mm-hmm. you know, because they were never actually uh, shown the realities of the hardships of, of life right. and following Christ. And they were then when that came, they're like, okay, God doesn't care about me. God doesn't love me. I'm out, whatever, because mm-hmm. they had a very uh, inaccurate picture of what, the Christian life was supposed to be. Yeah. 
Yep. Which the Bible does not skimp on. It doesn't. So it's like you're picking and choosing Bible books or something. Well, yeah, you are. And making it say what you want it to say. And yeah. what's, what's hard for me is like, you know, life is difficult. Say you're not walking with God. It's difficult for you too. <laughs> you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not like, oh, there's an easier route. I think what's amazing about our faith is that it offers, well, one, the reality of last week, you know, we read in chapter three, at the beginning of chapter three, that I think it's verse 11, that God's making all things beautiful in his time, mm-hmm. or in its, it, its time is what it says. And then, so not only that, but we're walking, we're walking with a sovereign God, but also he's with us, you know, that's yeah. Jesus, Emmanuel, he's with us. And Christianity doesn't offer you an easy way, but it does offer you life-giving way and ultimately eternity, you know? Yeah. I I will say that when we follow God's commands, there there is some ease to life that people just don't realize. You know, we want to call them boundaries that make our life harder, but when we follow God's commands with regard to sex, he, he does that in the context of marriage and all of that it it does make like life better it does make life easier because you're living in congruence with how you were created exactly yeah yeah that makes sense but okay so he solomon makes us face reality yeah. and that's something we're seeing in our world like there's so much evil and and we are we can kind of protect ourselves from it like staff your phones more you don't want to live with your head in the sand though either and be, you know, again, insulating ourselves from reality. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do you handle so much bad news all the time? Like how do you, how do you even, what's your reaction to that? How are you, how are you supposed to handle that? Like mentally, emotionally, spiritually? Right. Yeah. Well, the way that I normally respond to bad news and this is not good. Um, and, and I, I don't necessarily feel like it's extra in ministry, but I only have my context to, mm-hmm. you know, like as pastors, it does feel like generally people want to talk to us when something's wrong. Sure. And so as as honest as this is and even kind of hard as it might be to say or even to hear, I tend to respond to heartbreaking news or evil sort of as like, yep, that's, yep. That's mm-hmm. normal. And mm-hmm. it doesn't even like I remember when Columbine happened, for example. It was so shocking to me. Yeah. And I was sad for days. Now something like that could happen. And it's just sort of like, yep, that's the world we live in. It's yeah. Just how it is. You kind of get this protective shell callus sort of. around callus, your yeah. heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I wouldn't say that that's right, but that is tends to be how I normally respond to seeing bad mm-hmm. things in the world. It's like you're not surprised. Yeah. I think the like follow-up question to this one that we're talking about is just um things can be so bad in our world that we then put ourselves in the seat of like righteousness where uh well I'm not that bad. Or yeah. I'm good comparatively. Yeah. And one of the things that uh, since you preach that message that um, has been going through my mind is just like, where do I miss out on personal righteousness? Because uh, 
the world is so bad and I'm not as bad as the world. So yeah. I'm, I'm just fine. Yeah. You know, like you're comparing yourselves to the, the <laughs> which is what the Hitler's or whatever. And you're like, oh, right. I'm pretty righteous. Right. Yeah, yeah. I would never kill somebody, but I would definitely in my heart hate a bunch of people, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I was just thinking, you know, at a, uh, we, we talked about this a little bit in our community group this week, but just this idea of, um, you know, if I can't, if I can't change the entire country in terms of their opinions on abortion, mm -hmm. then I can't do anything. Right. And, uh, so if you start stepping back from that and saying like, what does personal righteousness look in my, look like in my life? Well, it's definitely voting, mm -hmm. you know, and trying to make larger changes, but, Personal righteousness, especially, we'll just use that one example, um, you know, unplanned pregnancy and pre-born babies could look like buying diapers for a pregnancy center. It could look like volunteering. It could look like, yeah. you know, trying to help a mom who's single mm -hmm. and uh, care for her child or even carry her child to term. It could look like adoption. I mean, there are so many steps. Yeah, foster care. Right in terms of personal righteousness, but I always like to skip all the way forward to, you know, the big evil in the world and well, we can't fix that. So yeah, it's over. Cause that's why it's so easy to blame everything, you know, the big bad guy out there, mm -hmm. which is legit. Like it is that that exists, but at the same time, yeah. When, when we only focus on that, we are slow to work on our own, personal holiness and righteousness right. and being instruments of of righteousness in the world like where we can start developing these pockets of righteousness in our city or be lights in our communities or neighborhoods or uh yeah community spaces that need help or mm -hmm. families in need or whatever but still also like growing really growing more like Christ in our uh not just our external actions but also becoming like christ like a a, a temple that mm. he's pleased to dwell in mm -hmm. and so not only can i want do i want to grow in serving in righteousness like yeah. you know serving a pregnancy crisis center or something mm -hmm. but also becoming the type of person that that kind of flows out of mm -hmm. too like this inner righteousness that leads to external behaviors uh like christ but letting him dwell within me um, set up shop, right. tear down some walls, patch some drywall. Yep. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and, uh, make me like him. I think all of the, all of this conversation, like the real hope sort of lands in verse 17 of chapter three, where it says, um, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked for there is a time for every matter and for every work. Mm -hmm. which is a throwback to the beginning of chapter three, the right. time for everything. But uh, there's so much hope there in the reality that um, that God is the judge. I, I think another just allusion to chapter three, verse 11, that he has made everything beautiful in its time, that it, it takes a lot of the pressure off. Like when we look at this world and we say there's evil under the sun mm -hmm. and... 
why is the world evil and what is God doing um, and what is my part and how do I do right or how do I fix wrong? And it really kind of chapter 3 verse 17 sort of says God is going to judge those things. And it goes back to what you just said, like personal righteousness. It's a matter of the heart and... God will judge the wicked and God will judge the righteous. And really he's going to judge our righteousness based on Christ, Mm -hmm. you know, but, uh, I, I find so much, um, encouragement there that, um, all of the evil things that are happening under the sun, they don't go unnoticed. Yeah. Even though we may feel like they do. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the hope of the only way, I can overlook something that has happened is by knowing that God is going to deal with it in the end. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's trusting him that he hasn't turned a blind eye to what has happened. Right. Well, and not to like overly go back to Joseph or to our Bible reading plan or whatever, but that's why he can say in Genesis 50, which you talked about last week on the podcast, that like what you meant for evil, God meant for good to yeah. his brothers. Yeah. And that's why what his brothers did to him didn't consume him for the last, you know, 20 mm-hmm. years prior to that. Because it, it, when you were preaching yesterday and you said, I don't remember exactly what you said, but feeding the fire, putting logs on the fire or the fuel. Yeah. The, Something that came to mind for me was something that in my life happened a few years ago that I felt was just so unrighteous in terms of um, how things were handled by authorities in the church that I was a part of. And Mm -hmm. um, that, me feeding that, like, that was unrighteous and I need to make it just Mm -hmm. does not help my personal righteousness. It does not help me move forward Mm -hmm. in loving my neighbor, it really only holds me victim to being in a situation that was unjust. But if I can just say, I know God knows what he's doing. I know that he will handle that situation in the end Yeah, and let it go. Mm-hmm. It actually serves me better. It serves the people around me better. Um, and so I think verse 17 of chapter three is a real like turning point for yeah like that's the hope of that Mm -hmm. section yeah i think and then uh real quick we'll just looking at uh chapter four the the latter part of it he starts talking about the loneliness of wealth He, he realizes that all people's even their skillful work is due to their jealousy of another Mm. so like even good things like admirable things oftentimes have such impure motives. And then he starts talking about just the, the futility under the sun of chasing after, um, riches. And then verse eight, he says, there's a person without a companion, without even a son or brother. And though there is no end to all his struggles, his eyes are still not content with riches. And so it's this portrait of somebody who is lonely um, relationally and also is so focused on trying to accumulate more and more and more like this, this restless striving for Mm -hmm. wealth. um, And at the meantime, having nobody to even share it with, Mm. I think he's talking about, then he, he shows the, the higher commodity of relationship 
mm-hmm. and having uh, one to share that with. And um, I found this quote by G.K. Chesterton that I thought was so good. So it's in the context of contentment, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy is still not content with his riches, which is the story of every person mm-hmm. that has strived after money, right? You mm-hmm. get some and then it's not enough. And then you think, oh, the next, you know, tax bracket or the next salary or right. whatever, then I'll be good. I just need a little bit more. G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton says this, there are two ways to get enough. One is to accumulate more and more. The other is to desire less. Mm. I thought that was so brilliant. Mm-hmm. Like contentment isn't found in pursuing more and more and more. Mm-hmm. It can be found in desiring less mm-hmm. like saying i have enough and that helps us to um not get caught up in this sort of restless striving over yeah. and over and over again i think this is a really cool passage i wish we had the time to um spend more time on it in our sermon series mm-hmm. um because i think there's a lot there chapter but four chapter four yeah yeah i feel like okay so part of the reason i broke it down the way i did is i in chapter five uh which is in a couple weeks carl's gonna preach on the vanity of wealth and honor and oh yeah, uh, you just over over Ecclesiastes, you can hit the same topics multiple. I mean, wisdom will come up a bunch, fear God will come up a bunch. Mm-hmm. So I just tried to hit everything without overly without double dipping on the same but, topic, kind of. Yeah, which we kind of do over over and over again. But we keep talking about our Bible reading plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think whatever it's. Uh, I mean, the scriptures by and large repeat themselves a lot too, yeah. um, because we're forgetful people. Yeah, and we a lot of the same a, stories. Yeah, over and over again. And we live in a world that is trying its hardest to get us to forget all of these things consistently. Yeah. And do you have a book coming out this week? No, not this week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, not this one. So you? Uh. I don't know. I don't have a book coming. Well, yes, I do. It's called Patch and Drywall. Mm, what's that about? Uh, there's a time for holes and a time for patching under the sun. Wow. Okay. It's about drywall. That's fascinating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Get that on Kindle. Chapter one is hop in the truck, go to Menards. <laughs> what's chapter two? Get a get a um. You're one of those bags no, you can get me. 15% no, off. No, get a uh, concrete mixer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, at Culver's? Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were talking about concrete no. for your drywall. No, Culver's. <laughs> That's right. Chapter that... two, go to Culver's. Okay. Yeah. And then chapter three, Mud go into Menards, right? Go back? No, because you're doing the mixer first, right? Oh, well, you said chapter one, go to Menards. Chapter uh, two, you're right. a concrete mixer. Chapter three, keep mud. it under sixty-five. Chapter with four, that sheet of drywall in the truck. It, you don't strap it down. No, you don't. But you also don't want it flying out uh, or snapping in half. And then next chapter is mudding and taping. Yeah, and then chapter five's. Uh, it's usually call a professional after and that. Then chapter six is yeah. uh, pay the man. Pay the man. Yep. Okay. Well, so you can look forward to that coming out here, although I just told you all the chapters. Patch and drywall. <laughs> Is that what you called it? I don't remember. You'll have to go. I Patch can't. and drywall with G.K. Severson. <laughs> all right. We better wrap this up. We will see you on the next episode looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 5.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Hillside Church Podcast. We hope you guys are enjoying our study as a church through the book of Ecclesiastes. We will be back next Wednesday looking at the beginning of Ecclesiastes chapter 5.